The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Um, There was a while, a long time ago, when I used to uh, um, read a lot more fiction than I actually do right now. Um, I had this weird practice where any book, any fiction book that I got... As I was, like, if I just bought a brand new book, I'm getting ready to start reading it, I would read the last page of the book first. And then I would go back and read the rest of the book. I know it's weird and dumb, but I would do that. And then sometimes as I would be working through, through the book, like, your mind is thinking, like, how is all this stuff going to sort of connect and all this? And, and just kind of thinking that through. Well, we're going to do that today. Because um, I'm going to start and we're going to read Luke chapter 24, but we're not going to be like dissecting it. In fact, this is not going to be a normal work through each verse, dissect each verse kind of a thing like we would normally do here. And the reason is, is if you didn't know that, the reason I wasn't here last week is because I was in Uganda and Kenya for the last week and a half. And my plane home literally landed at 1 a.m. this morning. So I've, I, you, you guys, I, I'm calling a mulligan right now on this service, okay? I cannot be held responsible for anything that I should say while I'm up here. I, am, I don't even know what day it is right now, much less barely even where I'm at. Um, but I just want to talk with you guys about what's going on in Uganda and Kenya and some opportunities the Lord has in front of us. And also want to talk about why we're doing this, like why this matters eternally before God. So in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36, we have this just awesome story. You, you got to know the backstory a little bit. I mean, this is coming right off the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you got to remember, like, it's easy for us to read these stories, and we know the end in mind already. So as we're reading the story, sometimes the effect of what's going on in those moments doesn't hit us because we know, oh, well, Jesus is alive, and he's resurrected, and we, we know all this stuff. They didn't all know that. Um, Even though they had been taught that, they didn't all know that. Because, like, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. And we have these stories like the story about the road to Emmaus. You know that one? Where a couple of his disciples are are walking to Emmaus and and Jesus appears to them. And they don't recognize him. They don't know who it is they're even talking to at that moment. And they're really down and they're discouraged and they're talking about all this stuff that's going on. And so Jesus says to them, like, hey, why are you guys so down? What's going on here? And they're like, they literally respond like, hey, have you, where have you been, man? How do you not know what's going on? Have you not seen the news, checked Twitter, nothing? You have no idea what's been going on lately? Like, how do you not know what happened in the city? And so they talk about how the Messiah, the one that they thought this was the king, we had thought this was going to be the savior, and he's been crucified, and, and he's gone. And so Jesus then begins to teach them. He begins to speak to them. And he says, no, 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 listen, don't you understand all the scriptures? And in maybe the best Bible scholar or, or, or uh, seminary lecture of all time, Jesus begins to break down to them the whole of scripture to show how, look, this is what was supposed to happen. This is what the prophets have been talking about. And, and he does this whole thing where he's saying, everything that you've been studying forever Everything that's in this book, all of those things led to this particular moment. This is what it was all about. And then as they get to that house and he begins to break bread with them, they realize, suddenly it says their eyes were opened and they realize, like, it's, it's him. He's alive. And then he vanishes. Poof. Gone. Which is hilariously frustrating. Like, they're like, he's alive and he's gone again. 
And so they're kind of talking about that. And they're spreading word like, hey, I heard he was at your house. And people are like, what? What are you talking about? He was breaking bread. He, I saw him die. What are you talking about? And there's all these questions and, and things that are going on. And then here in verse 36, it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, himself stood among them and said, peace to you. He just poof, there he is again, right in their midst. And verse 37 is hilarious. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. To which we would say, duh. Like, can you imagine that? Like, we're here gathered talking about Jesus and then poof, there he is. Like, right there. And so they're really kind of freaked out, as you might imagine. And verse 38 Verse 38 says this, And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. So he does it again, like, guys, I'm alive. You can see that I'm alive. And he shows them the scars, like, look, look at my hands, look at my feet. And this is a little bit of a side note here, but you ever think about it? Like, like most of us, I mean, well, all of us, we're all getting older, right? But like I'm getting now at that point where I'm starting to think I'm getting really older. Like I think I'm getting older faster than you guys are getting older sometimes. Especially when you travel like as far as I just went. Like oh, it's just hard and things ache and you start, don't you just long for that day when, when the weight of this curse is gone. The day that we have those glorified bodies where there's no more pain, no more of any of those kind of things. But one of the things I've always thought about through the years and considered that one day, in eternity with him. None of us will have these these weak, failing bodies. We will all have these perfect bodies the way we were intended to be, but there will always be one body in eternity that still bears the marks of the fall. There'll always be one. The scriptures tell us that when we see Jesus, we will see him as a lamb having just been slain. And you know, sometimes we say, oh man, heaven's amazing. There's not even, there's no crying in heaven. That's not true. The scriptures say there's no mourning, there's no sorrow, but the Bible actually says that he himself will wipe away our tears. And you go, well, wait a minute, if there's not mourning and sorrow, but we actually have tears, what's going on there? And, and this is a little bit of me speculating, but I, I think it's at least true, whether it's the entire story or not, that that day, when we finally are face to face with Jesus Christ himself, and, and think about it, you are in that perfected, resurrected body no more of the pains and the difficulties of the fall all of that is gone it's the way it's supposed to be and then you're going to stand before jesus christ and you'll see the marks that he took on his body to make it possible for you to even be there and then he's going to say things like well done good and faithful servant i mean i got to be thinking the right in that moment we're going to think are you kidding me how can that even be said of me i think that might be the moment where He's reaching forward to wipe tears away from our eyes as we are overwhelmed seeing our Savior and seeing what he did because of his love for us. Amen? So so here's Jesus. He shows them the marks. He shows them that he's alive. 
And then he begins to teach the scriptures again. And he's saying, look, all of this has been about me all along. All of this has been building to this point all along. Everything's going exactly to plan. Everything culminated in all of this. This has always been the point. And then verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you're witness of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, speaking of his Holy Spirit. So stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. He says to them, it's all been about this. And then he says, and now... As I'm about to leave, now you are going to be the ones to go tell everybody. You are going to be the ones that's going to go into every nation continuing the ministry that I've done. You're going to spread the gospel to all nations of the world. You're going to be my witnesses as you go. So one of the things that we do here at Heritage is we participate, as many or maybe most churches do, we actively participate, we budget both time and resources to be a part of overseas missions. And it's really important that we do that. There's several reasons why this is super important. Number one, obviously, as we see the passage right here, it's just obedience. Jesus said, go to all the nations, spread the gospel to all nations. And so desiring to be obedient to Jesus, we go to all nations to be able to spread the word of God to everyone. So it's just plain obedience. But, but more than that, more than that, I want you to think about this. What we do when we go to, say, Uganda or the mission in Mexico or wherever that is, when we do that, there is a real and tangible response there to what Jesus has done for us. I mean, I want you to consider his words in Philippians chapter 2, a passage you know well. It says this, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, participation from the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the, the interests of others. And then he says this, listen. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So think about that. Paul says there, Jesus was willing to set aside the comforts and the privileges and the benefits of being in heaven, of being in eternity, in heaven with God. He was willing to set that down, to humble himself and come to earth to, to get his hands dirty. Like, I don't think it's a stretch to say life's easier on the throne in heaven than it is being a homeless, itinerant rabbi working your way through Galilee at the first century. And yet he was willing to set those comforts aside. And so when we go to Africa, let me just tell you, that's a, Africa's far. You guys know that? Like Africa's far. It's so far. 
It's so far. Just the trip coming home or going there, it's crazy because leaving Africa, you have a five and a half hour flight, at least on this particular itinerary, five and a half hour flight from Entebbe to uh, uh, Dubai is where my layover was, Dubai. And then from Dubai to Seattle is 14 and a half hours. Like that's a really, really long flight. And then you have to make the connection then, you make your way down to Medford. Like, it's, it's a long ways away. And it's not just the distance. Like, when you're there, it's really difficult. Um, in fact, when I went there the, this time, I stayed in a hotel in Makano that was like the sketchiest hotel I have ever stayed in in Uganda, bar none. Like, it wasn't even close. And some of you that follow me on social media, you saw the picture. Did you see the bathroom? Some of you guys saw that? Um, the toilet and the shower are the same thing. And what I mean by that is there's a hole in the ground and a shower head overhead, and that's it. So they call it, and you can figure this out on your own, they call it the long drop toilet is what they call that. And it's just like it's a difficult place. We, 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 there's like the places that you go in some of the cities at night, you're like walking at night, and sometimes you just can't help but feel like, man, I don't feel comfortable. Sometimes the, the food can be difficult for people. That used to be the case with me. I used to complain about the food in Uganda all the time, and I would lose like a lot of weight every time I went. I'm pretty sure I gained weight this time. Um, I think I've just gotten so used to Ugandan food that it's actually good now. Like I, I'm kind of down with goat now, which is weird to say, but it was really, really good. Um, but there's difficulties with all of that. When you get over there, your sleep's messed up. The people are constantly pulling from you while you're there for understandable reasons. And so they become really long, exhausting days. Like going to Africa is not a vacation. It's hard. It's difficult. It's, it's dirty. It's dangerous in some places. But it is a reflection of the very thing that Jesus did for us that he would set aside the privileges of being in heaven at the throne room of God and would come and live the way that he did. There's something gospel in the very testimony of that. And then in addition to that, I could say this too. In a sense, we sort of owe it to him. Because like I said, it's far away. And if you think about what Jesus says to them, he says, you are going to go in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, from the Middle East, Medford, Oregon is kind of the ends of the earth. Like, that's about as far away as it gets, honestly. And just think about this. People heard that commandment from Jesus. They were obedient to that commandment for Jesus. They were faithful to that calling. And so someone told someone the gospel. Who told someone the gospel? Who told someone the gospel? Who told someone the gospel? And on and on and on and on until a man came to a house at 263 Richmond Hill Drive in Asheville, North Carolina and sat down with a little blonde-headed boy who didn't know nothing and started talking to him about the grace of Jesus. That gospel word spread from Jerusalem to Asheville, North Carolina and saved a wretch like me. And so now when we go there and do the same thing, there's a sense where you could say, we're just returning the favor. We are so blessed that the gospel has spread to the ends of the earth. And all of us who call Jesus Lord in this room, we have benefited because faithful men and women held to the promise and the command of God with regards to the gospel. And we have been saved because of them. And so now we get to go back to places like that and do return the favor, you might say. So it's important to us to be a part of missions in that same way. Um, Also, it's just plain good for us. And here's what I mean by that. 
every time you go over there, you're always thinking, how can we serve Africa? How can we serve the people? How can we bless the people? But in reality, it is good for us. I mean, for our own sanctification and our own growth and development as Christians to be generous people. Because the story of the church is the story of God crafting a people in his image. He's, he's raising a group of people, if you will, that look like him, that are manifestations of his character and nature. That's why the scriptures say things like we are the body of Christ and, and we are the hands and feet of Christ. And what it means by that is we are to be generous because God is generous. And so as we go and be generous to people who are in need, we are displaying an attribute of God in response to the generosity he has given us. So it's good for us to grow as generous people beyond even the benefits that maybe Uganda or Mexico or whoever might get from us as we give or as we support orphans or whatever. Those are great things too, but it is good for us because God wants us to grow in our generosity and become more like him because he is the ultimate example of generosity. Amen, church? So it's good for us to be involved in that, our own sanctification. Um, It's also important because obviously Jesus cares about the lost. He cares about the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. He talks over and over, just even in Luke alone. He says, let me tell you a story about a widow who lost a coin, about a shepherd who lost a sheep, about a father who lost a son. He talks the story of Zacchaeus, which we'll be getting to, and he says, the whole purpose of me being here is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the honest truth is this, the only reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because Jesus cares about the lost. In 2 Peter, it says that in days like these, people are going to be scoffers. And they're going to say, man, you church people, you've been saying that Jesus had come back for years. You keep saying it, and you keep saying it, and you keep saying it. And yet year after year, day after day, everything's the same, just like it always has been. Nothing ever changes. Jesus hasn't shown back up yet. It's just day after day after day. And Peter encourages the church, and he tells them, he says, listen, the Lord is not slack. But he is long-suffering, wishing that no one should perish. In other words, this. The reason he hasn't come yet is because he's willing to be long-suffering and endure those things because there are people that have been destined to be part of his kingdom, That people that he's like, I want to save this guy. I want to save this guy. There's people out there that he wants us to carry the gospel to who haven't yet heard the gospel yet. And so the only reason that we aren't now with him in those glorified bodies yet is because he's still saving the lost. And if at any point that should become frustrating to us, we should just remind ourselves, like it's a good thing Jesus didn't come back in 1974. Because how many of us in this room would have been outside of the grace of God in that moment? And how many more people are going to be saved in this next year should the Lord continue to tarry? How many are going to be saved in the next year? There are people that desperately need to be saved. And Jesus calls us to be part of this. And part of that call is to spread that gospel to the lost, even in a place like Africa, as far away as it is. And then finally, this one, and I love this. Our participation in places like Uganda or Mexico or overseas like that is really dress rehearsal for the future. Because here's the scene. In Revelation chapter 7, there's this beautiful picture about worship in heaven in eternity one day. And it says this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and, on the, uh, and excuse me, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne. And they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is what I'm saying. The Bible is really clear in multiple places about the fact that he's not just saving, but he's saving people from every tribe, every nation under earth. And heaven is going to be this amazing conglomeration of people from everywhere. And let me tell you, when we go to Uganda and we worship with our brothers and sisters over there, and by the way, it is a blast to worship with Ugandans. Um, You may notice I have never shown you a video of me actually in a worship service with them. There's a reason for that. You don't need to see that mess. Um, Because it's dancing and partying and I have no rhythm, but it's awesome. But it's like, it's, it is dress rehearsal for what it's going to be like there. And, and when you're in those services with them and you're worshiping and singing, there's something that just comes over you even in that moment where you're like, man, we couldn't be more different. Whether it be location or social class or skin color or background or history, we couldn't be more different. And yet in that moment, we are one. It is one spirit. It is one family, one brotherhood united by one spirit singing to one God together. And that's what we will end up doing for all of eternity. So missions is important. It's important for us to be a part of that. Now, to give you guys a little bit of backstory and history here, some of you guys know we, we've been working for many, many years now with Oasis of Hope in Imbarara, Uganda. Um, I met Pastor John preaching at a pastor's conference several years ago. Uh, myself and Eric Melgren, actually, back there, were teaching at a conference through the Book of Romans in Jinja, and Pastor John was there and a part of it. And when you're teaching there, it's pretty often that pastors will come up to you afterwards and they'll give you like a little piece of paper with like their name and contact info, and they're looking to connect with you for financial support for their churches, because their churches do need a lot of help and support. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, But when you're there with 500 pastors teaching for a week, you can't help but get a little bit like, oh, here comes another guy with another sheet of paper. Here comes another guy asking for help. And you you know you can't help all of them. So it's this awkward, like, I don't want to feel bad about this, but it's awkward because he's asking for help, and I'm pretty sure I don't don't know that I'm going to be able to, and you don't really know what to do. I had this big old stack of papers, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with it. And here this guy came, and he's got another piece of paper in his hand, and I'm like, okay, here comes another one, and try to put on the smiling face and go, yeah, I'm expecting that same sort of conversation. And, and he walked up, and his hands were, like, literally the paper was shaking as he was handing it to me. Um, and he, he walked up, and he said, the Lord has given me a word for you. And so I wrote it down because I did not want to forget. And he hands me that piece of paper, and he just walks away. And I remember thinking like, man, that's, that's crazy. I, re- I read the paper. There was no, no name on it, no phone number, no email address, nothing. And it was this prophetic word talking about how one day the Lord is going to use your teaching ministry and he's going to bless other leaders and, and other people who are even disenfranchised with the gospel or leaders who have been burned out or set aside are going to be revived in your ministry. And there's all these, and he started describing all these different things. Well, Heritage planted about a a year and a half or a year or so later, 
And as we grew and as we were blessed early on, we, we started getting to this place where me and the elders were talking. And we were like, hey, we need to be involved in missions for all the reasons that I have just given you guys. And what should we do? What do we get involved in? And I said, well, I actually, I know this one guy. And afterwards, I should, I should add, I chased him down like a day later and got his email address. But we hadn't been in contact or anything. It's like, I know this one guy, I, I don't know, maybe I'll just email him, let's just see what happens. And so we started some communication, and we just decided to send a group of us over there to sort of explore and just see what opportunities might be there. And so we have now been involved with Oasis of Hope in Mbarara, Uganda now for um, really since 2008, 2009, I think was around the first time. This was my eighth trip to Uganda. Um, we've been supporting orphans, doing all kinds of stuff over there. In fact, actually, let me just introduce you to Pastor John if we can. Um, can you guys show the video of Pastor John? He wanted to say hi to you guys, so uh, check this out real quick. Hi Heritage, we want to thank you so much for who you are for, to us and what you are doing. We want to thank you, we have been so blessed through the, the conference whereby I learned that it has been your effort to be there. So we thank God very much and for sure we have not remained the same, we are so encouraged. Not only that, but we are seeing the great work through the church which you are doing and we thank God for your pastor who is ever standing with us as you stand with us. We are hoping, we are expecting to see you in February as the pastor told us. We are so excited about it and we are hoping to see you as you come into Uganda. We are praying for you. Pray for us. God bless. That's Pastor John. He was so excited to be able to send that with you guys. I'll talk about February here in a few minutes. We'll get to that part. But um, so that's Pastor John Wabwira. He's been a close, close friend. And, and really, I've learned so much from him over the years. Um, but we started kind of thinking it through. We were like, you know, this has been great what we're doing. And, and we've done some orphan support. We, we've done some education support. In fact, can you put the picture of Vicky up here? Do you guys remember Vicky? Um, Vicky and Emmanuel actually came and they were here for a full year doing exchange program stuff with Cascade High School. Lived here with the Johnstons and was a part of it. This is Vicky. She heard that I was in Kampala. So she and her brother came to say hi. Vicky graduated from college yesterday. How awesome is that, right? Super exciting for her. So she just wanted to say thank you to you guys as well. So we've been doing supporting kids through uh, schooling and stuff like that. We've done, we've done pastoral training. We've done mission, like medical outreach stuff when we've gone. We've done lots of different things. But Pastor John and I have been talking over the last little while about like, um, what do we want to do really moving forward? Like what should we really begin to invest in? I mean, we could build, you know, maybe an orphanage. We could build a school. We could hire teachers and have a school there to cover more kids. There's all sorts of things that we could do. What should we really focus on if we wanted to bear down and really do something in Uganda that made a lasting difference there? What could we do? And Pastor John said, all of those things are great. We should take care of orphans. If we can build an orphanage, yeah, we should do that. If we can, uh, if we can do a school, yeah, we should do that. And he said, but, but the most effective way to change lives in Uganda is planting churches. He said, by planting churches and training pastors and spreading the gospel into the community, that creates even pockets of churches in Uganda that grow in generosity just as God is generous. And many of them begin taking care of the orphans and whatnot that are there. And he said, by far, the most effective thing you can do long term if you really want to make a lasting impact in a place like Uganda is to plant churches. But it's hard. 
There's challenges with that. It's difficult because what happens is a lot of guys will go out and plant churches. It's easy to find people that want to go plant churches. It's even easy over there to get people to come to a church plant. What's hard is keeping them because a church plant will open up. People will get going. I actually got to preach while I was there at this one church. It was in the middle of nowhere. And they already had the walls built where they had been building this brick building that was going to be a church building. And, and along the way, though, construction stopped. Didn't have a roof anymore. Floor never got put in. It was just brick walls. And they weren't even really supported. In fact, they were saying that they believed that it was the power of God and the Spirit that had preserved and kept the walls from even falling over in storms and things like that. And so they would go inside the walls and meet, but the building isn't finished. And the reason is, when the church started, there was excitement and people came. But then over time, a different church opened up down the road, another charismatic church, or it was a Pentecostal church, something like that. And the people there started to go, hey, I wonder if they actually have more that would benefit us down there. I heard they actually work with, and it was like an orphanage or something like that. And so suddenly everyone left the one church plant and went to the other. And he said, what's happening is, is that people over there, because they have so many great needs, they go to church only looking for what, what can I gain from this? And the pastors there, by and large, aren't trained enough to really give them consistently over the years what they need most, and that's the actual word of God. And so it becomes very light, very experiential, and when people leave a church, they don't feel like there was all that much holding them there in the first place. They just go on to the next place. So he said what they need is the pastors there need to be trained so that those roots grow in and those churches can be sustained by the Spirit and the Word of God that's there. That's what they need the most. So we've been talking about that and like looking towards um, a real emphasis in church planning over there. Um, but here's what I'm so excited about that's kind of happening now. When we went last time, we actually connected with the Acts 29 network, of which we're a part. As you guys know, um, our church is part of the Acts 29 church, which, uh, uh, church network, which is a uh, d- diverse global family of church planning churches. Um, we, we have certain, you know, theological things that we all have to agree on and all that kind of stuff, but the real purpose of the Acts 29 network is to equip pastors and plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And so the Acts 29 network is made up of lots of smaller networks within it. Like we're part of the U.S. West network, which is made up of 13 states here in the U.S. There's a European network, there's a Middle Eastern network, there's an Australian network. But then they have this thing called the Emerging Regions Network. And it's sort of just a junk drawer, really, if you will, to say emerging regions is basically anywhere that we don't have an up and running network of church planners, especially consisting of some of the indigenous church planners as leaders there. And Uganda and Kenya is part of that. So we started talking with them about what we might be able to do in conjunction with Acts 29 and maybe in partnership with other churches that have things or churches that they're a part of like we are with Oasis of Hope. How could we all partner together? How could we connect those pastors that are there together and to do this? And this has become a real emphasis for the Acts 29 network. Some of you maybe have not even heard much about Acts 29 or any of this, but I want to show you guys the video about this is kind of the vision video, if you will, of Acts 29 and what they're trying to do globally. Some of the men that are in this video were actually with me in Uganda and Kenya just this time. So roll this video, would you? (laughs) 
church planting is God's strategy to disciple the nations. It is through his church that Christ will reach into every corner of the earth. And so we go. We drill deep into our neighborhoods with the transforming power of the gospel. We reach wide with the gospel so that the whole world can hear. The gospel word is alive. It penetrates hearts and cultures. With it, we drill deep into the richness and brokenness of our community. Imagine a society saturated with churches committed to radically serve their neighborhoods, to face head on the complexities of their culture, fighting injustice, exposing lies, celebrating diversity, lifting high the name of Jesus. Imagine life springing forth in barren post-Christian cultures. Imagine passion welling up amongst families once bored of empty religious tradition. Imagine peace in communities long divided by history and race. Imagine Hispanic churches planting out of English-speaking churches in the most diverse cities in the US. A church in South Africa where people of all backgrounds and skin color link arms under one savior. A church in a project comprised of men and women, once addicts, gang members, thieves, pimps and prostitutes, but now loving God and others faithfully, joyfully, sacrificially. A church in Turkey, lovingly speaking truth, despite bombs in the streets and threats from extremists. Imagine an explosion of churches planting churches, digging ever deeper with the beauty of Christ into the ugliest parts of their communities. We are drilling deep. Let's drill even deeper. Now imagine this gospel spreading, reaching into every dark corner of this planet. Imagine a surge of disciples wanting to be trained and sent out, men, women, families counting the cost to go where Christ is not yet named, not knowing when or if they will return. Imagine indigenous communities of light sprouting in dark, inaccessible and intimidating contexts where grace is still not known. Imagine a work with refugees in Europe, giving homes to the homeless, giving hope to the hopeless, fueled by prayers that one day these men and women will return home bravely, wisely to plant churches. A church in the poorest parts of Brazil, feeding families, providing education, speaking truth. Academies, equipping and resourcing young Christians to engage with the mounting complexities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this world. Churches in the Middle East, seeing members martyred, but still holding unswervingly to the truth they profess. Communities forming and growing, shaped by the gospel in deeply secular cultures and communities. A church in Paris, discipling and sending Iranians back home, transformed and equipped with gospel zeal. Imagine churches all over this globe, partnering together, flourishing and reaching out with the gospel. By God's grace, we are reaching wide. Let's pray for gospel arms to reach even wider around the world. There is not a square inch of this world that Christ on the cross has not won for himself. There is not a square inch where the church of Christ should not be, showing love, giving hope, speaking truth. Acts 29 is a diverse global family of church planting churches, drilling deeper, reaching wider, planting churches until every neighborhood is saturated with the gospel so that the unreached are no longer the unreachable.
That's the, yeah, you can clap for that. <clears throat> so that's really become the emphasis of what the Acts 29 network is looking to accomplish, to spread wide and drill deep. And like I said, in Uganda, the spread wide part's kind of easy. It's the drill deep part that they've been struggling with. So I contacted the Acts 29 network last year, and we started talking about what we were doing in Uganda. And I just said, hey, are there others out there we can connect with and try to work with that? Um, And they connected me with a team of guys, and we went just last week to Uganda and to Kenya. So first, if you'd put that leadership team picture up, I'll show you the team that we were with. Um, It was a real, it was super exciting to get to be a part of this. So so this guy right here, this is Tony Morita. He is the pastor of Imago Day in Raleigh, North Carolina, like where I'm from. He lives like right down the street from my mom, as it turns out. And he's the director of the East Africa Emerging Regions Department. So Uganda and Kenya. So he was there with us. Um, This is Chris, who runs an orphanage there. He was helping us organize this. This is Robert. He's from Malawi, uh, X-29 pastor from Malawi. This ugly dude up here, you don't need to worry about. Um, This guy and this guy, they were from Houston, Texas, or just outside of Houston, Texas. This is um, One. One was in the video. He's Rooted Fellowship, which is in South Africa. Um, This this guy's from Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida. His name's Adam Flint. Um, If you guys are into podcasts, you want a new, maybe a new pastor you can listen to or some stuff like that, write that down, Church of 1122, which is super funny. If you hear the podcast and you hear Pastor Joby Martin teaching, you'll understand kind of how it works. He's sort of a redneck who got saved, and he's an amazing teacher. Um, But their first service... Somebody was like, what time's church going to start? And he just sort of jokingly blurted out 1122, and that became the name of their church. They, to this day, they still have a service at 1122, and it's like one of the fastest growing churches in the history of the United States. It's crazy. But um, they were a part of it. In fact, they support a church that's right like one hour away maybe from Pastor John's church. We actually drive through that village to get to in Barara where we go to see Pastor John. So we're going to be working together with them some in the future. And then finally, this guy over on the end is Femi. He's a lead pastor of a church in uh, um, Nigeria. It's like 20 million people in the capital city of Nigeria there, and that's where he pastors. So we had this really cool team of people from Africa, people from all over the United States, and we got to go over and do a pastoral training conference. So the first one we did was in Uganda, if you'll put that picture up. Um, Uganda was just a blast. This was in Kampala, Uganda. 120 pastors came out and took part of this, and we were able to just really teach those guys for several days, resource them with some commentaries and stuff. Um, One of the things that was exciting about this, out of the 120 pastors that were there, um, 17 of them were our guys. I mean, like Pastor John and the churches that he's planted there. 17 of them were our guys, which was super exciting to have all those guys there and in that context. And so then we left there and we flew to Nairobi. If you'll put the other picture up. Now, um, Nairobi, Kenya doesn't quite have the same momentum that Uganda does at the moment. We had 32 pastors that were there at that particular conference, um, but just some really solid, godly men um, that, that are just doing some amazing work while we were there. And we got to actually spend time partnering with them, but here's what is so cool about what's happening. I'm telling you, I'm as excited about this maybe as I am about anything that our church is a part of right now. This is what we did. 
we do the conference for two days, and then at the end of the second day, we had an invitation-only dinner. And mainly just because we can't, we can't do what we're looking to do with 120 guys right away. We need a small group to start out with. But at that dinner, we sort of pitched the vision for both Acts 29 and church planning and what we want to do in terms of building out a network. Because the ultimate goal is that there would be network leaders in Acts 29 to help train pastors that are in Uganda, actual Ugandan pastors that can carry on that discipleship and that training themselves. And so we wanted to find kind of a core group of guys that we can start investing in. And the Acts 29 network has a discipleship program that they've created now that's called Church in Heart places. Um, And it's really just designed to come alongside people like these people right here, spend two years with them of intentional discipleship. They do all the training, they do Skype calls, they do conferences, all this stuff. But the end result is at the end of two years, the guys come out of that ready to go through complete assessment with Acts 29, be part of the Acts 29 network and raising up leaders that can take on the church planning movement from there. So that the end result is there wouldn't be a emerging region for Uganda and Kenya. It would be an active, vital, and, and um, li- alive church planning network going through that area there. So we had those dinners. Our pastor, Pastor John, is going to be a part of that. And so these guys are going to be working together over the next two years um, to be building that. In the meantime, what was awesome, I showed you guys Tony Marita, the guy who's the director there. He was, he was so blown away by the relational equity that we have there in Uganda, the trust we've built with some of those pastors over the years, the quality of those pastors, men like Pastor John and all that kind of stuff, and all our experiences there that he actually said um, what he wants to do is make every trip that Heritage does to go to Uganda to make it an emerging regions event. And this is why that's an awesome and big deal. It means that if we go to Imbarara to go work with Oasis of Hope, which we've done over and over and over again, Acts 29 Emerging Regions would come alongside that, and they would fund to bring pastors from all over Uganda to Imbarara where we are to put them up in hotels, to feed them, to resource them, even giving administrators if we need it to help organize events so that when we go, we won't just be doing pastoral training for Pastor John and his people, but we would be getting together pastors from all over the country while we're there. It's an incredible opportunity that we really have, and I'm, I am just blown away with excitement. And so we, were, we have planned or at least budgeted time and resources to go back to Uganda with a group in February, um, I, that's slightly tentative now only from the standpoint of if we're going to do this partnership like this with the Acts 29 Emerging Regions, I need, I'm working with them to find out how much lead time do you guys need to help put this together. Let's make sure we can make the most of it while we're actually there. But hopefully February, March, somewhere in there, we'll be making a return trip. And here's the deal. I really want you, every single one of you in this church, to be a part of what we're doing in Uganda. It's a big deal what we're doing over there. Some of you have been there before. You've met some of these people. You see the gospel work that's taken place. You've seen some of the changes and the ways that we've been able to impact people's lives like you get it. It's such an awesome opportunity what we're doing there. Not just there, but also in Mexico at Carmen Sedan at the mission. Same exact thing. I want every person, if it's at all possible, I want everyone here to get an opportunity to be a part of what's going on. Because this is a gospel work that God, I'm, I, I, I see it with my own eyes. He is blessing this work. And so there's some ways that you can do that. Um, the first of which is you can, you can continue to give. 
Um, it's not super cheap to put those kinds of things together. The work that we do there is not super cheap. And so we as a church, um, we do budget a certain amount of money every year to be able to do overseas mission, to be able to take care of orphans, to be able to do the work that we do over there. So whether you wanted to give specifically towards that, if the Lord puts that on your heart, or just continuing to support the work here at Heritage in general, um, like I want you to know like you're part of what's going on. Like I don't want you to have a mentality of, oh, I give to the church, and then the church does that. Like, what you're doing matters. And my hope is that you would feel some ownership in that, that you would feel that relational thing that's happening there, that that you're playing a very vital part in what goes on there, and a very vital part, not just in, oh, it's a cool thing Heritage is doing, but I'm talking about, like, the spread of the gospel to save lives in Uganda. You're part of that. So you can give and contribute towards that, Um, but not just towards that, there's other things too. Like there's other orphans or other underprivileged children over there that don't have school fees, that don't have the kind of care that some of the kids that we've taken on do. And so if the Lord would put it on your heart, man, here's what I'd love to see. I would love to see maybe someone or a team of people from Heritage, I'm, I'm bucket list, but it could happen right out of this service for all I know would raise up to want to organize um, orphan and education support for them over there so that you could say, so a family from Heritage could say, I want that particular kid is going to be my kid that I'm actually supporting in school, that I'm supporting in resources and that. And then maybe you would have the opportunity one day to actually even go over and visit and actually meet that kid in person, to be able to exchange letters, to do all that kind of stuff. I would love to see that raised up out of here so that we're doing almost like what they do at Compassion, but within our own church with the people that we actually have relationship with. That'd be amazing. And there's so many. There's this one kid that Pastor John's daughter connected me with. His name's Della. And our family, like my, my specific family, has been supporting this kid for his education and stuff recently because he's a refugee from Congo. And Congo is a very war-torn terrible nation. His parents were murdered in tribal warfare, and he's with his aunt now. They all fled the Congo, and 17 of them live in this one-room apartment now in this place in Mokano there. And his name's Della, and we've been supporting him to be able to go to school. And so just this time while we were on the trip, I was able to make a little sidetrack and get over to Makana and actually get to meet this kid in person, to actually hug and love on this kid and be able to see tangibly. Like, I remember the pictures when I first saw him, and now I see now in person. I can see, like, he's healthy, he's eating, he's going to school. I actually went to his school. He didn't know that I was coming. And we went to the school to go visit him, and it was just an incredible opportunity to get to do that. Like, that opportunity is there. I would love to see that come out of here. So you can give, you can support through Acts 29, you can support church planners. Um, There's so many opportunities and so many needs from a resource standpoint to spread the gospel. Even just getting commentaries in those guys' hands is not cheap or easy to do, but makes all the difference in the world to those guys over there. So you can give. Second thing is that you can do, and I really mean this, like, I want you to go. Like, I really want you to go to Uganda. I want you to come with us. Um, Right now, Pastor John's working on nailing down a location, a place that we can stay, where we could take a team of maybe 14, 15 people with us all at once. It's hard to take more than that because transportation to Embarara and vans and stuff like that is really hard to work out. Um, But I'm hoping that when we go next, be it February, March, whenever that ends up being, 
I want to take a group of people with us, um, especially if you've never been and never met them before. Because like, it's one thing to pray for Uganda. It's one thing to donate money towards Uganda. It's a different thing to be praying for them and giving to them when it's not like this philosophical or, or untangible place, but to be going, I'm praying for John. You know what I mean? I'm praying for Irene. I'm praying for Judith. I'm praying for Nathan to be able to think through these actual people and experience the kind of relationship that we have with them. Like, I really want you to go. So maybe the Lord even right now would prompt on your heart to say, man, maybe that's something I should start setting some money aside and let's see what happens for this next trip. But I, it, it, I, don't, I can't even think of how. It usually costs somewhere around $2,200 is about what we, uh, what we would need from you to be able to come. And then Heritage tends to pick up like the room and board while we're there and some of that. And the vast majority of that is your airfare and your visa. But um, I, I can't imagine a way to spend $2,000 in one chunk like that that would be more life-changing both for you and the people over there than to do that. Like, it, it's incredible. So I want, I want you to pray about going. And we can't take everybody at once, but we're gonna go. Like, we're gonna keep going. So just pray about that. And honestly, if we're talking real bucket list here, I long for the day. I pray for the day that one day someone from within Heritage, like a family or a couple would say, I think, I, want, I think I'm being called to move there and to live amongst the people of Uganda and to be a missionary for heritage to the people of Uganda and to be there on the ground like that. Maybe the Lord would do that with one of you. But there is opportunity to go. I know it's far. Man, it's so far. It's so far. I don't even know what day it is right now. I have no idea. It, it's so far. But it is an incredible blessing. So pray about going and honestly, if you ask the people in Uganda, if you said, okay, I got $2,000 for a plane ticket. I could either give you guys the $2,000 and you could do ministry work or feed kids or whatever with it, or I could buy a plane ticket and come visit you. Which would you rather I do? They would say without question, no, please come, please come. Like the relationships and the connection are so important to them. And I'm telling you guys, they love you. They love you, even though they've never met you. So pray about going. Please pray about that. And then the other thing is this. Just pray for them. And I shouldn't even say it that way. Because always, we always kind of say, say that way as if like prayer is like, oh, I guess you can do that other thing. <laughs> but there are so many significant challenges that the people in Uganda do face. Churches folding left and right. The spread of Islam in Uganda is everywhere. When you're over there, man, like five, six in the morning, whatever time it is, every morning you're sound asleep and you wake up to hearing the call from the, the nearby mosque where people are praying. Like that's just part of life over there. And then there's, there's even cultural challenges that are significant. This one guy, and he wasn't one of the pastors that was there, don't get me wrong, but this one guy there came to one of the pastors and, and the pastor had been talking about uh, being faithful to your wife. And he literally, and he didn't even realize there would be a problem with this. He just, he just came up to the guy and he goes, hey, I heard what you said. I agree with all that. I have seven wives and I'm faithful to all of them. And we were like, oh, okay, I guess you're seven times as faithful as the average person. I'm not sure. Um, we should chat about that. But there are some significant cultural things that the pastors there are pushing against all the time. And, and this becomes really difficult in some of those places. And so these pastors and these church leaders, men, women, and children of faith over there, 
they need our prayer. We need to be praying for these churches that they are sustained. We need to be praying for these pastors that they would continue to grow deep and not grow weary in well-doing. We need to pray for us, for the Acts 29 network, and for all of those who are working over there on how we can continue to resource them and equip these pastors so they have something to give, especially the gospel and the teaching of the word to the people there. We need to be praying about what the Lord would have us to do moving forward. We need to pray for Pastor John. Um, I got the chance over there to teach about mission, about evangelism, but also mercy ministries and caring for those in, in need and things like that when I was over there. And, and the one challenge I gave them at the very end is I said, listen, the one thing you guys need to know, and I'm talking to pastors while I'm there, I say, look, we want to come around you. We want to support you. We want to equip you. We want to love on you guys the best that we can. But guys, here's what you have to know. You have to know this. The primary plan that God has put into place to save the people of Uganda is not the American church, it's the Ugandan church on the ground here. And for those churches to take that mission themselves and to spread the gospel into those areas, we want to be a support to them, but those are the people more than anything that are called to spread the gospel and to care for the needs of the people there. And I'm telling you, they need help. So we need to be praying for them. But I'll tell you this, man, I love those people so much over there. They, they gave me, the, I'm, I'm super proud of this. They gave me a Ugandan name this time. First time ever. I, I, first, I, I was just so blown away. They gave me this awesome name. So over there, like John Wabwire, you actually would put the other name first. So people there would call him Wabwire John. Is what they call him. And so now, no joke, over there, and they, they literally call me this now. It wasn't just a joke. They call me Musana Jeff. My name is Musana. And I will totally respond to that. You are welcome to call me Musana. I love that name. But here's the funny thing. So names mean something. And so the name Musana means daytime. I know some of you are already figuring it out, right? <laughs> some of you are already figuring it out. So Pastor John's daughter, Judith, her surname or whatever is Nabwire, which means night. And they gave her that name because she was born at night. And she was the one that had suggested, she goes, what time were you born? And I said, I honestly, I don't even remember. It was morning sometime, I don't know. And she was the one that suggested daytime. And she said, because night and day, you were born in day, and then also you look like day. <laughs> That's what she said. That's what she said. Um, but I share that with you to say this, like, the relationships we've developed there, you, and, and you have to experience this to understand this, but it's not an us and them. Please hear that. It's not an us and them. It's a we. Like those are our brothers and sisters. And, and that's literal. Like the adoption into the family of God creates a more important and legitimate relationship than our own birth relationships that we have here because these are relationships that will be eternal. And we are part of something powerful and significant and important as we minister to and with the people of Uganda. Because I'll tell you this right now, man, you get involved in those missions work over there, yeah, you'll teach a lot of people things. There, there's not, by the way, and I should say this, um, some of you might be thinking right now, well, I would go over, but now they're just talking about pastor training and I'm not a teacher really, so I don't know that I would do. I don't know what I'd do when I go. No, look, 
everyone here has something they do that would benefit the people, even if it's just to come alongside and love them because those relationships are so important. So there's a place for anyone here to be able to go to Uganda and serve and actually make a difference, not just be part of like Christian tourism or something like that. But, but this is what I want to tell you. This will change you. Supporting others changes you. And, and that goes for whether you're ministering to your next door neighbor or ministering to the people of Mexico or ministering to the people of Uganda. God disciples our hearts and teaches us as we go. And so I just want to throw that out there and just say, look, if you feel the Lord leading you, whether it be supporting kids or going to Uganda or, or helping us organize some sort of orphan care program or whatever the case may be, let me just encourage you, respond to the Spirit of God if he's tapping on your heart. Because it's life-changing. It is life-changing to be a part and see what God's doing, to see how you can be used. And I'm telling you, God will teach you more about yourself and more about him for your own sake than you will ever be able to teach anyone else on the other side of that. Amen, church? So here's what we're going to do. Sam's going to come back up and close us in a song. And we, I just want to take an opportunity as he makes his way up here to just pray for our brothers and sisters in Africa and for our own church and our role in working in missions in Uganda. So will you guys bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you so much for the blessing that you've given us in being able to work with our friends, our brothers and sisters in Uganda. It is a gift from you to be able to do that. And so I'm just so thankful, Lord. I pray, Lord, right now for Pastor John. As he's probably about this time laying his head down on his pillow after a long day of serving and doing Sunday church services, I pray, God, that you would bless him, Lord. Lord, give him rest. This guy does so much for the people of Uganda and carries such a burden for the people of Uganda in need. I pray, God, tonight you would give him and his wife, Jessica, would you just bless them with rest and peace. May you recharge his spirit and his soul. In a place where it's not all that often that you see people grow to old ages. And, and here's a guy who's 60 years old with more energy than I do. Lord, may you continue to sustain him and use him and bless him. May you bless him in the teaching that he's going through now with the 829 Hard Places Network. Lord, will you, will you equip him, Lord, specifically, not just like what we think he should know, but what you know he needs to know to be able to continue to serve and spread the gospel in Uganda. May you bless his churches, Lord, the church plants that are out there in the upcountry. May you, Lord, bless them with the ability to grow and connect with their people. May you sustain them as lights in dark places. And I pray, God, you would lengthen their ministry, Lord. May those pastors grow in a depth and knowledge of you beyond they, what they ever thought they could know. May they continue to grow in their heart for your, their people. And may you continue to raise up more and more church planters there in Uganda, in Kenya, in America, everywhere, Lord. I pray for the churches, Lord, that your gospel would be rooted deeply within them and motivate all that they do. That even as we come alongside and support them, Lord, may they be people who, to, who are also being crafted as a generous people to reflect the nature of you. A holy people separated for your purpose. 
May you bless them, Lord. I just pray that you would care for, bless, and grow people like Nathan and Judith and Tom, Irene. Lord, thank you for Johnson and his ability to administrate. Lord, may you continue to work with him and Fred and Godfrey and on and on and on. Lord, all of these beautiful brothers and sisters we have in you. Lord, may you sustain, equip, and protect them. And here, Lord, I just pray for our church. I pray, God, you would continue, Lord, to resource us and keep us, Lord, faithful to to bless others out of that, Lord. May you protect and advance, Lord, our opportunities in Uganda, in Kenya, in Mexico, in America, everywhere, Lord. I pray for continued relationship with Oasis, and I'm just so thankful again for what you've given us in them. And I pray, Lord, for the people here of the church. Lord, the church is not an organization. It's the people here gathered together. Lord, what would you put on our hearts? Would you call missionaries out of this room? Would you call people that organize orphan support? Would you call those who would give towards care of orphans? And Lord, just what would you have us do? How can we be involved in this greater work that you're doing? Will you inspire and anoint our prayers, Lord? Help us, Lord, to have them on our mind and to be able to pray for others just as as you pray for us now, Lord. And may you continue, Lord, to bless heritage and mold us more and more and more into your image as we serve, Lord, those in Medford, those in Oregon, those in North America, those in Africa, to the ends of the earth. Lord, we thank you for this gift. And all of it, Lord, we just turn to you and say thank you because in reality, we are only doing this because this is our story as well. That, Lord, you would leave your throne on high to come and save the likes of us is such a mystery, such a gift. And we are ever grateful that you showed such mercy on us. So in response, Lord, and empowered by your spirit, may we continue that same mercy with others. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Will you guys stand and sing with us?